Welcome to the Cedar Fort Come Follow Me Made Easier podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cherry. This week, our teacher is Lori Denning, the author of the book, Real Heroes of the Old Testament, coming out later this year. Her subject matter is the book of Numbers. We hope you're enjoying our podcast each week, and we invite you to subscribe, like, and share with your friends. We are offering a 20% discount to all of our podcast listeners and viewers. Go to cedarfort.com and at checkout, use the code podcast20 for 20% off. Thank you. Hi, welcome back. We are headed into the book of numbers. Now, this book we are going to go through at a record pace. And it's too bad because it has some of the most powerful stories that we see in all of the Old Testament. However, it kind of gets overlooked. I think it's because it has a really boring name. Uh, The book of Numbers uh, comes from a census. And there's actually, well, there are actually two censuses. Sensi? Censusum? Anyway, there are two of them. One of them takes place right in chapter one, and then one again almost at the very end. So there are two big countings of the people, and that's where we get the name. So it doesn't sound like it's going to be a very exciting set of stories. And yet, some of the most fascinating stories and indicative of how we should work with the Lord and how he works with us are found in this powerhouse book of numbers. So let's jump in together and let's find out more about him. Uh, Here's what I'd like to do today. Um, Because uh, Come Follow Me is going to actually just do two chunks, I want to give a little bit of overview to make sense of those two sections or those two chunks. But I want to do how we got here, do a really quick overview uh, how we got here. I also want to talk about one or two of the themes that we're going to see. So as we jump in, that these themes will become apparent and you'll start saying, ah, I see it. So we'll do themes number two. Third, I just do want to do a little bit more overview about the book itself, its name and and some other things and structure. So kind of uh, technical stuff, part three, my favorite part, don't fast forward past through that path, that part. And then last, let's actually dive into the material itself and find out what we learn about the Lord and the Israelites. Okay, that's it. So number one, let's talk about how we got here. So the book of Numbers is really the fourth book. And so we have to remember where we've come so far. So we're really heading up this story of Israel. The Israelites have become a people through Moses and leaving Egypt. So this is just a continuation of that story. So we even go back a little bit more. It's the story from Genesis. So we see something like the creation and the fall and people going out, um, the Adam and Eve going out into the wilderness and trying to learn to follow the Lord there. Then we see the Uh, Abrahamic covenant. The Lord chooses a family to save and to save all the nations as well as them. And he creates the Abrahamic covenant, the new and everlasting covenant with them. And then we see that birth of a nation in Exodus. So we've just gone through all that. So we've gone through Moses, there the parting of the sea, Red Sea, Reed Sea, and we see them meeting up on Sinai. And so this is really a continuation of that same story. In fact, it's so much of a continuation that uh, we are going to be just right in the middle of those same people, Moses, Miriam, Aaron, and all the Israelites. So that's kind of where we've come. This is a story of salvation. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of covenant, how we got here and what we're going to do in our lives. So that's kind of how we got here. Um, Second, there are a couple of really big themes. And this is where I think numbers as a book becomes a real powerhouse is where we see This is kind of about a test, a test in the wilderness. How are the people, in this case, the Israelites, going to handle things when they have covenanted to follow the Lord? And now, 
are they going to do it? Uh, and so we're going to see this theme of testing trial. What do we do? Do we turn to the Lord? We're also going to see a theme of what the Lord does with them. So we're going to watch over and over again how the Lord is going to honor the people's decisions, in some cases, to not follow him. And so he's going to honor their agency. We're also going to see how the Lord continually loves and brings them back in and continues to bless the people who do follow, the people who do want to repent, or the people who really do turn to him and live up to their covenants. So we're going to see a theme of the Lord's love. We're going to see how the Lord works with us during our lives and during our um, quest through the wilderness, we'll call it. So some big themes, themes of the test, themes of the Lord's love. And we're just going to see how all of that interacts together. Now, here's what I'd like you to do as we go through this story and really any story in scripture. Well, I was going to say, what does it say? And what did it mean to them? But then after that, we look and we ask ourselves, what does it mean to us? We're going to look and say, how is this story, this story from 3,500 years ago in ancient Israel and Cana and Egypt, how is that possibly like my story today? And I think we'll find that it's a lot like our stories today. So as we go through, I want you to ask yourself, how are these themes and these ideas like me? All right. So let's go. So that's really, we've gone really quickly, but that's really first how we got here. And then a couple of those main themes, test the Lord's love agency. Um, one thing that I want to point out is that the book of uh, Numbers actually has a different name in Hebrew, and it's a better name, by the way. So while it does start and end most closely end with a census, hence Numbers, it actually is called something else. And in Hebrew, the first few words of the book become its name. So in uh, Numbers 1, let's read Numbers 1, 1. Actually, I'm going to click over to that. Numbers 1, 1, uh, we learn the name. Uh, and, and Hebrew goes in a slightly different order, so um, it won't be the very first words in English, but it's close. So in um, Numbers 1, 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. And that's where we get the name. It's called In the Wilderness. So in Hebrew, it starts out In the Wilderness. And that's a really great way to think of this. This whole book of Numbers is about being in the wilderness, which is a great metaphor for our lives. We're cast out into the lone and dreary world, and then we're learning to turn to the Lord. We're in our own wilderness. And while they were marching around the Sinai Peninsula, we're marching around in our own lives. And so these lessons that they learn might be similar to the wilderness and the life lessons that we have as well. So the book of Numbers, better name, in the wilderness. And we learn this is about our quest for the promised land. And just like that, that's one of the other ideas that we should always remember, that there are metaphorical ideas or big picture concepts that we can apply to ourselves. These lessons that the Israelites are going to learn or not learn are going to be instances where they're going to be like us. They're questing for the promised land, the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that there's going to be a land for them and, and a, an inheritance. And that's going to be what they later call Israel, uh, the land of Canaan. Now, what's our promised land? We're trying to return to live with our Father in heaven. We're trying to progress and return to, uh, to be more like our Savior. So we all have our own wilderness and we all have our own promised land that we're trying to get to. So similar to them, we're also going to get there. 
Now, this story is really part of the first five books of Moses. And the first five books of Moses are really one big book. So this is just a big section or a big chapter in those books. So you have to always remember it's the same part of the same story. So if you just pick it up by itself, it's kind of hard. But if you, since we're just doing all of this and come follow me, it's kind of nice to remember all the things that we've learned in Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. And now we hit the book of Numbers. So there you go. So kind of cool. So in the wilderness is where it starts. Um, it has a really interesting structure. The structure always helps me understand what's going on in the story and also what some of the ideas, themes, lessons that I should be learning. So it really comes into three big parts. Now we're going to jump right into really part two in Come Follow Me, but it comes in three parts and they're really done geographically, meaning where the people are. So the first part of this book takes place right at Mount Sinai. I know, they're still there. So if you recall, if the, as the Israelites left Egypt and Pharaoh after the Passover, after the, uh, the sea, the crossing of the sea, they meet at Sinai, and then there they get the Ten Commandments. They make a covenant to become a peculiar people, and then they don't always make it up to the mountainside. That's where this is still happening. In fact, they stay there for a calendar year. So they are there at Sinai for a year, and this is the very end of that same year. So the last half of the book of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, the instruction manual for priests, and uh, lastly, this first 10 chapters of Numbers is actually um, all the same place. They're still in that same year. It seems like a long time because there are a lot of books and a lot of chapters, but it all takes place. And that's the first section in this three-part section of the book of Numbers as it takes place at Mount Sinai. So they're still there. They're still getting organized. And so it's going to start right out with um, with a section. We'll jump into that in a second. But it's going to start right out with um, them counting and doing some things. That's the first chunk. Then there's kind of a little couple chapters. Again, that's about through chapter 10. Then it's going to take a little travel log of about chapter 10, 11 through about 12. And then they're going to get to the next section. Again, it's geographic. So they get to a place called Paran or Paran, probably Paran, but Paran. And so they're marching around and they get there. And then a whole bunch of exciting and adventurous stories happen there. So that's the second block that happens there. Then there are a couple other uh, chapters about chapter 20 and 21. A little travel log again where they after all that stuff happens there's a little travel log then they get to the third section and that's going to happen at moab the plains of moab that's easier for us to remember for most of us that live um, in the western united states because there's a place called moab here in utah and so we go oh they made it to moab different moab now well moab is located just on the other side of the jordan river so this is the very last place before the israelites are going to cross into the promised land cross, cross into the land of canaan so again it's three-part structure part one at mount sinai part two at paran and part three which is actually 40 years later, is going to take place as they get on the plains of Moab as they cross over. And that's kind of how the whole book is laid out. So it's easy to say there are all these stories that happen each place, but they're kind of geographic as they march around um, the Middle East. Another way that some scholars have broken this up is there's a really big section um, of them being fairly disobedient and struggling. And that goes through about uh, well most of the book until you get to that second census. 
And then there's a part where they start to succeed. Um, and so that's kind of the two halves, the part that they don't do so well. And finally, the new generation who does succeed in following the Lord. And so it's kind of like, in fact, I wrote it down about uh, chapters one through 25 don't do very well. And then chapters 26 through 36, hey, a new generation and they succeed. So sometimes it's done by that. Chapter 26 is also where we see that other census. So let's talk about that and let's jump right in. So the first chapter, and again, at that chapter about 26 or so, you're going to see this census. Uh, censuses are mostly kept um, in scripture for one of two reasons, uh, creating a military. So you have to find out how many fighting men there are in your army. And that's what these are about. So they're going to say, hey, we're going to go and we're going to have to maybe fight for this land that we're given. And so we're going to count all of the eligible men, young men of fighting age. So they do a count of them. So they're going to go through each of the tribes and they're going to say by tribe, this this one has so many, this, this tribe has another count. And then they're going to do it again after 40 years of wandering before they walk back into the land, they're going to count again. So again, these are young men of fighting age or men of fighting age 20 or over. And um, I did a little count um, of them. So you can, they're right there and they go through, they have so many and they have so many each tribe. Um, and they don't list Levi, you'll notice, um, but they do count about 600,000 men. So that's not the women, that's not the younger men, that's not the elderly and uh, children, no kids in there. So might be about 2 million people. Now, if you were to count up like I did and count up how many people were in the first census and how many are going to be the second census, um, they are only 2% different. So there's some, some tribes that go really up and some tribes that go really down. Simeon goes really down and Manasseh goes really up. The Lord is still blessing them and he is keeping his promise to them that they will be fruitful and multiply. He'll also bless them with uh, posterity, Abraham's promise, remember. And so even during all of this, the Lord is keeping his, his promises and they're very prosperous and there are millions of these people. And so that's kind of what it starts. Hey, we're going to start out. Um, it also is going to start out with an organizational chart in chapter one, and it's going to say, I want you to keep the tabernacle, this instruction manual that we got in the second half of the book of Exodus to how to create the mobile temple and then how to become pure and holy to live and approach the Lord in the book of Leviticus. Now they know how to do it. And so they're saying, hey, after you've built the temple and after you've learned how to uh, become holy and come closer to the Lord, this is how we're going to march around with the tabernacle. So we're going to build a camp and we're going to put the temple right in the middle. And then kind of on the um, north, south, east, west cardinal points, we're going to put the different tribes with Judah leading out. Now they are going to be the uh, tribe that's going to have that role. And then, but around right in the middle of the tabernacle were the Levites. Now in the census, the Levites aren't counted because remember they're not eligible for military service because they have responsibilities for the temple, its upkeep and other uh, sacrifices and priestly roles. So the Levite family is um, not counted in that. You'll see they have a different role. And there are lots of information about the Levites in these chapters as well. What's it like to be a priest and what is their responsibility? But it's about now you're like, Lori, that's great but uh, I don't really care about the census or about the marching orders. But remember what we asked at the beginning is how is this like my life today? In our journey through the wilderness, are we putting the temple and meeting the Lord 
at our center? Are we structuring our lives so that is foremost and something that's protected and close to our hearts, but always at the center of everything we do? And I think that's the lesson that the Lord is trying to teach the people. He wants to be in their midst, in their middle. Um, Just like in the Garden of Eden, where the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was put in the midst, was put in the middle, dead center. Um, He wants to be dead center. He is the center of our lives when we covenant with him. So he's saying, even on your journeys and even through the wilderness, I want to be middle. Is that where we're keeping him? It's a good question. And that's what he's trying to teach them as well. So he counts everyone, they set up this camp, and then they're going to head out. I want to point out one other thing right at the outset of, of the beginning of Numbers. And it has to do a little bit with what's been happening uh, in the other chapters. Now, at the very end of Exodus, they create um, uh, the, the tabernacle. So the second half of the book of Exodus is a building instructions. And then they describe they build the tabernacle and they're successful. And the Lord, the presence, the uh, Shekinah, that word's never used in the Bible, but this presence of the Lord comes down. We sometimes see this pillar of fire, this pillar of cloud comes down, just like in the Kirtland Temple. Comes down and inhabits. The Lord is there. So he accepts the offering of the temple. He's in his house. He's there. They're successful. They did it. They made the tabernacle. And then it says the Lord was there, but Moses could not enter. Whoa. After all that, Moses couldn't enter? Then we hit the book of Leviticus and the book of Leviticus and this code is going to explain all the things to become holy and to draw near to him. There are certain sacrifices, there are certain rituals, and there are certain um, moral behavior that has to happen for people to become close to the Lord. So the Lord says, not only do you have to create this home, but you have to change yourselves. So that's what the book of Leviticus is out. So now we've just gone through the book of Leviticus and here in Numbers 1-1 again, Does it work? Are they finally able to enter into the presence of the Lord and go into the tabernacle or the temple? In this case, the tabernacle. And Numbers 1-1, do they make it? Or is Moses able to finally go in? Here's how it reads. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, and the tabernacle of the congregation. He made it. He, the Lord spoke to him while he was in the tabernacle. The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. It worked. So everything we learned about becoming a priestly nation, as well as making ourselves pure and holy through repentance and sacrifice, coming to the Savior and using his grace, have allowed us into his presence. It was a success. Just like in our lives, we need to draw nearer to the Savior and make ourselves worthy and holy by calling on his grace and repentance to be drawn near to him. So we enter into his presence. And now, we are ready to take our journey into life. All right, so that's that's kind of where we get our grounding. Now, this first part of the book of uh, Numbers, this first chunk, one through 10 or so, we're not gonna go through so much, but um, but a lot of things happen. Some of it's kind of boring as they talk about the layout and some of the roles of the Levites and stuff. It's worth a read, but we're gonna just jump right to what happens in 11 and 12, okay? So, in 11 and 12, if you remember, this is kind of a transition period between the two chunks, right? So they're going to be in Sinai, and then they're camping, they're ready to leave, and they start to head out. And in chapter 10, something happens. And that is a common thing that's going to happen through the rest of the book. The people start to complain. They're going to complain about the food. And they're going to say, hey, 
there's no food out here. And I love how it goes because they actually complain um, about it. Um, let me start with one other scripture before we hear what their complaint is. So remember what this is all about. Go to um, Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, remember the people are still out in the desert. They don't have a lot of food. And so the Lord creates a special food for them, a miraculous food. Uh, manna, uh, ma in Hebrew means what? And nu is, is it? And so literally the word manna means, what is it? So this weird sticky substance uh, comes in every evening like the dew and they go and they're supposed to gather it, this manna. And this is going to be their argument in a minute. So this is going to make sense. Hold on. So they, the people are gathering this manna. They're supposed to gather it every night. And the Lord tells them um, what, why he's doing all of this and what this is all about. So we want to see this carefully, what's going to happen. So in Exodus 16, 4, this manna has come around and um, the people are really hungry, but the Lord is going to tell them why he's giving them this, what is it, this manna, this bread from heaven, this uh, sky bread. And it says in Exodus 16, 4, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Did you catch why the Lord was doing this? Sure, they were hungry, they were starving, uh, and he wants to bless them. And they asked for a blessing and they received it. And they received a miraculous gift of this sky bread, this heaven sent bread, this bread from heaven. But he also said, I'm going to do it to see what? I want to prove them. I want to test them. I want to see what? Whether they will walk in my law or no. Will they listen to me? Will they do what I ask them to do? That's why I'm going to do it. In our lives, we're often given blessings, but this life is a test to see if we will walk in his way, to see if we will listen to him and trust in him. So even when we receive these amazing blessings in our lives, where uh, the Lord is saying, will you still do what I say? Will you trust me? Will you walk in my way? And so now we're in the book of Numbers. They've been gathering this sky bread, this heaven sent bread, this manna for a while, and they start to complain. And they say, uh, they, they do, there's a lot of complaining in these sections. But in um, Numbers 11, they start to, to complain about it. And this is, uh, this is what they say. This is my favorite part. So I'm in um, Numbers 11, and I'm going to go through 2 and through 2 through 6. So Numbers 2 through 6. And this is where they are. So they're all ready to leave. They've packed up. They've seen the presence of the Lord. They've been saved from Egypt. They've been gathering this manna. And they're ready to go. And this is what happens. And the people cried unto Moses. And Moses prayed unto the Lord. Uh, they were, oh, I'm sorry. I have to start at verse 1. Let me start over. 11 verse 1. And the, when the people complained, the people complained. So that's just how the story starts. They just started complaining. And so when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that they were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and then Moses prayed unto the Lord, and the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. 
And the mixed multitude that was among them felt a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Food. And we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. After everything that they had been given, the people complain. In the beginning, we, they just start complaining. And the Lord's pretty angry, if we can imagine. He saved them. He's been giving them miraculous bread. He pulled them out of Egypt. They were slaves there. And they start complaining. And they just said, ah, my favorite part. They, they, um, they wept again. Who shall give us meat? Meat to eat, flesh to eat. And because uh, they're seeding this bread. And he says, we remember the fish, which we did eat freely. I think they're remembering the story wrong. Weren't they slaves in Egypt? I'm guessing that's a pretty high price to pay for some fish. So how are we like that? When we're traveling along in our lives, the Lord has given us all kinds of miraculous blessings. Do we kind of look around and say, why don't I have those other blessings? And this is their first test. Remember, remember when they're given the manna, this is to see if they would be proven if they would walk in his way. And how are they doing? How are we doing? Now, one note of caution here. I have taught Old Testament for a while, and during, uh, during a number of years, I've had people say, those Israelites are so foolish or silly, or I would never be like them. And just a note of caution, I think we are them. I think while we look at them, and sometimes we only see these really bad side of these people, um, I think the story is because it's about us. I think we are like the Israelites that after all the blessings we've received, um, blessings of food and water, blessings of a new land, blessings of life and blessing. Um, sometimes we complain. Sometimes we complain. And the Lord's like, after everything I've done, uh, I can't believe you're complaining. And some, so sometimes maybe we need to reflect on that. In our journey through our wilderness, through our lives, do we count our many blessings? Do we actually notice the Lord's hand? Um, we're being proven to, to see if we will walk in his ways, even when it's a struggle. So they, they seem to forget how bad Egypt was when they were killing all their children and being slaves, but okay. So that's kind of the first story. Now it goes on in the next chapter that Miriam, uh, Miriam has been one of the great deliverers. It's really Moses and then Miriam, who's the number two player in this story after the Lord. And then Aaron, the three siblings. So you remember Miriam's the oldest, then Aaron, um, who is maybe seven years younger. Um, so just two or three years older than Moses. And Moses is the youngest of the siblings. So it's Miriam, Aaron, Moses. Um, Miriam, who's been this great prophetess, who's been this great deliverer. She's the one that saved Moses in the in the little ark. She's the one that sang and prophesied as they crossed the sea. She's the one that's been leading people. Now she's a great leader. And yet here she and Aaron are going to, in the next little section, complain about Moses. They're going to complain about his wife and they're going to complain about, hey, we had prophetic visions too. How come the Lord isn't picking us? Now this story is kind of a uh, has kind of a negative connotation to both Miriam and Aaron that even after everything that they've seen uh, here in chapter 12 and all of these miracles, these leaders even are going to start complaining. Let's go there. I think this one's really applicable to what's happening in our lives today. So in Numbers 12, um, and I'm going to skip the first part. They're complaining about his his wife, um, and then they say in 12 Numbers 12 too. 
And they said, again, this is Miriam and Moses, uh, Miriam and Aaron. And they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only to Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. And then I love this. Well, and Moses was very meek, you know, above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. I'm sure Moses didn't write that about himself, but Moses was the, just the most humble man. Actually, do I have this? Yeah. I thought that might be in a uh, different translation there for a second. Verse four, and then the Lord, the Lord heard it. So they're complaining. The Lord spoke to us too. And even the Lord recognized that, that we are gifted in prophecy and revelation. And so shouldn't we have better roles? Shouldn't it just be Moses? And uh, the Lord heard that. It says, heard, heard and spake suddenly to Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam and said, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Can you imagine you're sitting there complaining and the Lord calls you out and calls you right to the front of the temple? Now, this is a little bit disparaging of those two great deliverers, Aaron and Miriam. But this is the part that I think is really similar to us today. Are we really listening to the prophet? Are we trying to rely on our own? Well, we receive revelation too, and we do. And the Lord's instructing us that we should. But he's also called people with priesthood keys that have special responsibilities. I think it's important that we listen to them and their roles first, not to be like Miriam and uh, Aaron in this case. But the Lord calls. They meet at the front of the tabernacle and uh, and the Lord descends in the pillar and cloud. He's right there in front of them. And he says, come forth. And he says, verse six, hear my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. And I will speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him, I will speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore, when ye were not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. So he's saying, if you have the gift of revelation, and we all do, um, I'll speak to you in a dream and you'll have to see things. But the prophet is different. When I call someone specifically, I speak to him directly, face to face, like a person uh, does. There's no secrets or intimations. I am telling him directly you're not exactly the same. So while your gift of revelation is important, I have chosen someone to speak to directly. And so the Lord is really chastising them. And it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And then they look over and they notice that Miriam has been struck with leprosy. So her body is covered. Now, this is one of the things that we learned in the last book looks like death. And so she is going to be uh, potentially cast out from the a congregation. And so Aaron says, no. And the Moses says, no. And they pray to the Lord and the Lord removes the leprosy. As part of this holiness code though, she has to go outside the camp. And here's an interesting lesson for all of us. When we sin and we rebel and we speak against the Lord, we can pray and be forgiven just like Aaron and Miriam. And yet Miriam is cast outside for a week. And it says the congregation waited for her for that week. She's an older woman. She's on her own. Uh, it's dangerous out there. And they loved her so much that they did not leave. How much is that like us when we have brothers and sisters in the gospel who may be struggling, who may be outside the congregation? How much do we love and wait for them? Do we welcome them back? Um, it's a great lesson about Miriam, not only for us to look to the Lord and his prophet and our own revelation, but when we do sin, we can come back. And when we have brothers and sisters who sin or struggle, we should wait for them, just like Miriam and Aaron and Moses.
All right. So that's the first section. Now we're headed into the land of Paran. This is the second big block. So that was kind of the travel section. And then we get here. And this is the part where you're going to get a bunch of different stories. For the most part, these stories are stories of the children of Israel not succeeding. They're not going to, they're going to send some spies in to the land. And the 10 of them are, of the 12 are going to come back and say, the people are too powerful. We can never get there. They don't trust the Lord. Remember, this is going to be a test. We're going to prove them to see if they can make it. And 10 of them come back. No way. We can't do it. After everything we've seen and after all the power of the Lord, we're not going to trust him. Two, however, do come back, Caleb and Joshua. And they say, no, it's great. We should totally move in there. Now, this is going to be important uh, that these two did believe him. And we're going to learn an important lesson because over and over through this next section of Paran, the people are going to struggle. They're going to doubt. They're not always going to pass this test very well. They're going to, they haven't learned to listen to the Lord, listen to the prophet. So we're going to have story after story of them not succeeding. But what if the people who do uh, in fact, there's a whole nation They, um, in a little bit we're going to meet in Joshua who convert um, and the Lord loves them. Um, and so when we turn to him, he's going to love them. In this example, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that were sent and said, no, it's great and didn't, um, didn't really make up the story, but were truthful. The Lord blesses. They're going to be the only two people they are going to be allowed into the promised land. Because after all of this complaining and the failing, none of this generation is going to make it into the promised land. You see, the Lord is going to honor their choices. They say, we want to go back to Egypt. We don't want to do any of this. They look into Canaan. They're worried about it. They don't trust the Lord. And they say, we just, oh, if we could just go back. And the Lord's going to honor that. All right, you don't have to go in but you're not going to go back. I just saved you from that. It's not a good choice, but I'm not going to make you go in either. So he doesn't. So for 40 years, they're going to wander around until that whole generation dies, except for Caleb and Joshua, the two that did believe and did follow, and they will be able to enter the promised land. So that's kind of that second block, Paran. They wander around, they struggle, and we see that sight. The Lord will bless those who have chosen to go in and follow him, but he'll also honor our choices to not uh, follow him. Then there's a little uh, transition story again, and then we get to Moab. So now it's 40 years later. Uh, Moses is getting pretty old. Uh, Miriam has passed away at this point. Aaron's going to pass away shortly, um, and they get there. And story, are they going to be ready? Is this group ready? There's still a whole generation that has not uh, died off. It's still some of the older folks. And um, they are back to complaining again. And this is where we see the famous story of the fiery serpents. So it's an interesting story, but a number of serpents come and they start to bite the people. And the people are dying uh, because of it. And uh, Moses is commanded to go and create a brazen serpent and put it on a stick. Uh, so really what he's making is a serpent and he's making it out of brazen means out of brass, right? So it's fiery looking. Then he's going to go and make that. He's going to put it on a pole and all the people have to do is look and live. And do they do it? 
not everyone, they still struggle with their faith of turning to the Lord. Now, the Book of Mormon has a lot to say about this story, about how this is a story um, of our, uh, uh, like us. Um, in, again, this isn't about Numbers 20, uh, where the fiery serpents come and um, the people are complaining. So the serpents show up and then Moses, again, is going to make this uh, this serpent on, put it on a pole. Um, Nephi calls them fiery flying serpents. I just have some notes I'm looking at here in 1 Nephi 17, 40. One, a fiery is a really similar word to burning. So it could be either that they were um, uh, like the burning of the bite, or it could be something like it uh, burned within them, this issue. Um, but it's probably some kind of, uh, is it possible for them to fly? Um, like Nephi said, maybe. Um, but we definitely have uh, ancient Mesopotamian stories of snakes with wings. I know that seems ridiculous, but it could be a reference to something like that. Anyway, a great study to do is to follow through the symbolism of the serpent through all of these stories, starting back in Genesis. Yeah, the talking serpent in the book uh, in Genesis 2 and 3. You're going to see that this role of the serpent is going to go through all the way through. You're also going to see things like Moses' staff, remember, turns into a serpent and eats the other uh, serpents that the um, uh, magicians of Egypt put down. And then we're going to see these rolls over and over again of this serpent imagery. Um, and so it's kind of this idea. So it's a really great study if you want to go back and see what is this role of the serpent. In the meantime, the people of Numbers are being uh, bitten and they need to look to these uh, serpents. Um, Alma 33.19 tells us that many did look and live. That's all they had to do. They didn't have to do anything except believe and follow these kind of seemingly ridiculous instructions. Remember, Moses is going to bring this pole. He's going to put the snake on it that he makes out of brass. And all they have to do to avoid dying is look and they would live. In John chapter 3, it says the same thing. It was a symbol of them having faith. It was a symbol of them believing, of a symbol of them trusting the Lord. And that's all they had to do. It does seem kind of like a ridiculous instruction if you were being bitten by a snake that all you have to do is look to him and believe. And so some, because it was too simple, wouldn't do it. How is that like us? Are there instructions we have in our lives that we don't comply with because it's too easy or it's ridiculous or it just can't be true? Remember, this is our test in the wilderness. Will we learn to walk in his way or will we look to him and live? Brothers and sisters, the message of the book of Numbers is that this is their test and this is our test. And the Lord is there in our midst. He's right there if we choose to follow him. And he wants to welcome us into the promised land to be more like him. He's provided a savior for us to follow and to be able to join him. And yet sometimes we're going to complain. We're going to murmur. Oh, if we could only go back to the good old days. Oh, we don't like the blessings that we have. It's too easy. It's too hard. We're just like them. So when we look to the book of Numbers, we're going to say, are we going to be like them or not? Now, they wander around for 40, some do, some don't, and that's how the, the serpent part of the story goes. But um, they wander around for 40 years until everyone dies, including Moses. In fact, Moses even uh, struggles at one point with some things. And so 
Um, so it's only this new generation that gets to live. They take a second census. The second census, again, is only 2% different, some plus and minus. The, the Lord's blessed them through all these travels. And then they get ready to enter uh, the uh, promised land and they're succeeding for the first time. They're finally listening and following. Uh, they don't always in the future, but for now at the book of Numbers, there's hope that by looking to the Lord, we will live um, and we he will test us to see if we will trust him and follow him. All right, brothers and sisters, that's it. That's the book of In the Wilderness, the book of Numbers.